Today we're going to be looking at the heart of worship, and it comes from Psalm 95. And I encourage you all to open your Bibles here or at home. If you're at home, go grab your Bible. I don't care if you have to grab the big old family Bible, whatever it is. Grab a Bible, open it Psalm 95. If you need to do it digitally uh, on your phone or some other device, go to Psalm 95. If you're on the phone or a device, go to the English Standard Version so that Psalm 95 in the ESV. And I've asked Art Keneally to come and read that for us, but I want you to keep that Bible open in front of you, whether it's in print form or digitally, because we're going to be using that as we go through the entire sermon. Art, I'm so pleased that you're reading for us. Good morning. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Come, let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, If only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on my oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Thank you, Art. This is a remarkable psalm. It's part of a group of psalms in the Bible from Psalm 93 to Psalm 100. They're called the enthronement psalms. Go home and show how smart you are with your Bible knowledge. (laughs) But there's really an interesting connection. All of those psalms are about worship. And they're all about worshiping God the King. Worshiping Jesus, our King. That's what this is all about. That's what these Psalms all focus on. And it's really at there that we're going to be spending a lot of time this morning. But let me start with something simple. Your your atheist friend, your doubting friend, your relative who doesn't seem to be interested in the Bible or interested in Jesus, they all worship something. Trust me, everybody worships something. It's true. Uh, people worship riches, wealth. They want to have everything they have. They have the nicest house, the newest car, this, 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 this. You probably know some people who always are bragging about what they have or showing off what they have, making sure you notice them. See, see this, see this, see this, see this. And certainly if you're online and you're involved with some social media, you can see people who are doing all kinds of things to say, see, look at all this great stuff I have. Others, they want praise. They want honor. They want to be worshipped in some way. So they want power. Power in such a powerful way that people are coming to them and kind of bowing down to them. That's what they want. They want that's that. They worship that. For some people, it's acceptance. Will somebody accept me? What I'm doing all right? Is it the right thing? Is it the wrong thing to do? 
and they just want to please people, and that's what they're worshiping. Their entire focus of their life is about that. Now, I wondered for a while if, if maybe baseball was one of my worships. Oh, yeah, as a little boy, I dreamed about someday playing shortstop in the major leagues. Yeah, think about a legally blind person trying to hit a baseball. I knew the strike zone, so I was on base a lot because I walked, but yeah, okay. But then I wondered about what happened when I saw as my kids got older and my my son in Florida and my daughter in New Hampshire, and they and now and their kids are big, still big baseball fans. Was I worshiping baseball in those days? Was I focusing more on the Red Sox than about God? It gives me pause to wonder about that. Everybody worships something, and it's best done if you're in a community. I mean, think about baseball itself. If you're in home and you're watching it, it's kind of okay. It's all right. It's better if there's somebody else with you. And it's best if you're in the building, you're there at the stadium, and there's all the noise, all the smell, everything that's happening, the taste in your mouth of that uncooked hot dog, all that stuff, it's right there. And you're experiencing it in community. And that's what happens. Your atheist friends want to hang out with other atheists. The people who want to party, they hang out with other people who party because that's, that's their worship. That's their church, so to speak. The people who are angry about this or that, they hang out together and they want to worship the anger and hate that they have. That's what happens. People get drawn into that. But we are a community that worships something else. We don't worship riches, man's empty praise. We don't worship any of those other things. We are here because we worship Jesus, because of what he's done for us and what he does for us now and who he is to me right at this moment, at this very moment. That's what we worship. So let's take a look at the first two verses there in Psalm 95. Look at it. Let us, let us, let us, let us. Oh, I guess the psalmist is telling you is that this is a corporate community experience. Absolutely. Worship is best in that community experience. Let us, let us, let us. I love being here because when I hear other people singing well, I can sing poorly and nobody notices. It's a good thing. We can make a joyful noise. Let us make a joyful noise. Twice it tells us, make a joyful noise, even shout. Wow. Okay, so David, you do a little too much shouting. Okay. So we really want to express ourselves. And that's what the psalmist says. You need to do that. Well, let's think for a minute. Think about how you express your joy. Because we express our joy in a really natural way often. Because it's built into all of us. Not not just because we're believers, but joy bursts out of people all the time. Marilyn and I were hiking, uh, and we were hiking around Houghton Pond, and we hear this strange sound. Boing, 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 That was weird. Um, I I didn't know if something was bad or good. Uh, I didn't know if it was like a tow truck that was trying to warn somebody because it wasn't exactly a siren. And Marilyn looked across and said, oh, oh, I, I think the, some guys were there throwing rocks on, on the ice. I went, rocks on an ice? What? 
We get around the rest of it, and there they are. There's two college-age guys. I think they're planning to do fishing. And there they are. They're taking rocks, and they're skipping it out there deep onto the pond. Boing, 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 boing. I, I had to interrupt. How long have you known how to do this? Five minutes. <laughs> he just figured out how to do it. He and his friend just figured, we're trying to throw some rocks out there to see if we can go out there and do ice fishing. And I found this sound out there, and it was kind of cool. So I did it again, and I did it again, and I did it again. Marilyn asked, so would you mind if I got this on the phone so I could video it? Okay, sure. So we waited until they were ready. Marilyn standing there, okay, I'm ready when you guys are. They had their rocks, and they looked at each other, ready? Okay. They both threw it out there. Bing, 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 bing. It was so cool. They were responding out of joy. This was fun. They didn't expect it. And just naturally expressed that joy. Marilyn and I are walking down a hill, and there's some people coming towards us, a family, you know, a bunch of kids. In the back, there's this little cute little girl in pink. And we're coming down the hill. They're coming up it. And I did what I've done here ever since December started. Merry Christmas! Well, the kids in front said, Merry Christmas. They were happy. And the little girl in the back went, Merry Christmas! And then her hat fell down over her face. She just was so excited. She had to express it not only with her, wide, her words, but with her arms and everything, her whole body. So her head fell, hat fell down. It was just cute, adorable. We express our joy, whether it's in smiling, whether it's in clapping, whether it's in singing or shouting, whatever it might be, we express our joy. Maybe it's even in laughter we're expressing our joy. Scripture really did tell us, didn't it? We express our joy in singing, but it's singing not just any old song. We're singing to the Lord. We're making a joyful noise to the Lord. We're coming to him in thanksgiving. We're singing psalms to him. Let us two, 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 two. It's a focus of what we're doing. Now in the next section from three down to seven, I want us to first just focus on the last couple verses there, uh, on verses uh, six and seven at the end. You have another section where it says, oh, come, let us, you see that? Another one of those, oh, comes. There it is. There's a breakdown. Oh, come, let us. And it didn't say, shout loudly. It doesn't say, make a joyful noise. It didn't say any of that. It says, what? Oh, come, let us bow down. Let us kneel. Wow. That's different. This is a different kind of idea of worship. It's quieter. It's very different. It reminds me of some churches that I've gone to here in New England. You walk in, there's no noise. Some people sing, a lot don't. When it's over, it's quiet until it gets to the parking lot. And then everybody's talking at the top of their lungs. They're all excited. They're gathered around coffee, making lots of noise. But it's so quiet. Is it quietest? No, it's not the quietness. 
There's something else. In that exuberance that you see in verses 1 and 2, it's probably very much like what it was like in the temple in Jerusalem. People with those ram's horns blowing them, some of them not very well, trumpets being played, people dancing, people shouting, people singing. This is a vast multitude. You didn't walk to that temple and everyone's being solid and quiet. Some are coming quietly. But there's something about that quietness. What is it? Bowing down, kneeling, and again the object to the Lord our Maker. And we see that in real worship. The joy and the humility. Joy comes pretty easily to me. I guess you see that. I laugh out loud. I make lots of noise. Uh, you know, that's, that's who David is. But it's how God made me. And I can express it. And I'm so excited. But there's other moments where it's really easy. And when it comes, it's, oh. Even while singing a hymn about Jesus. You died for me. You took my sins. How's that possible? Me? Why me? I am not worthy. You are the one that's worthy. The interesting thing is when you look at verses 1 and 2 with all the exuberance, it's very clear about how we express that kind of worship. And it happens in lots of places. The second one where it's quiet, just being quiet is not necessarily having that same humility. I'm not going to sing. You can't make me sing. It is a humbleness that shows up there. So why do we sing joyfully? Why do we make a joyful noise? The same reason why we're going to humble our hearts. It's who we're focusing on. Why are we worshiping God? That's what it is. In verses 1 and 2, we see the rock of our salvation. And we know his name. His name is? His name is? That's better. Did you say that at home too? I hope so. I hope you said Jesus. We want you to be just as engaged as people are here. So respond back audibly. It's okay. You're safe. It's Jesus. He's the rock of our salvation. We remember what he's done for us, who he is. They can't be moved. We know that it's something we can depend on more than anything else. It's Jesus. And we know as we continue down there in verses 3 and 4 and 5, we see other reasons to praise him. He's the great king. He is the God of God over all of the gods. He is the matchless king, the matchless God. No one like that at all. And if you start thinking about every single God, if such other gods exist, they are all under God. 
And every single king, president, senator, congressman, mayor, whatever, they're all under God. Everyone. That makes you humble and joyful at the same time. You're humble to know of who God is. And then it becomes even more personal. The psalmist goes to a place that shows up in many of those psalms from 93 to 100. Creation. Look at the description. What's in his hands? When I used to sing, he's got the whole world in his hands, I was thinking about people. But this is something bigger, more incredible. The lowest part on the earth, the highest mountain on the earth. Okay, Ready? Both here and at home. It is Mount Everest. That's the highest mountain. Mount Everest is the highest mountain. And we know off of the Philippines, there is this big trench called the Marianas Trench. The highest mountain. The lowest depth in the sea. A a friend of mine uh, told me this week, that if you take Mount Everest and you picked it up, we can't, it'd be nothing for God, but if you picked it up and you took Mount Everest and you put it in the Marianas Trench, there'd still be a mile of water left. That's how deep that is. That's stunning for us. It's more than 12 miles. But if God created all of that, remember what we just said earlier? Kneel and bow down. And we're bowing down to our maker. The one who made you and made me. Every one of us. God made us. Each one of us. We are all his creation. And under him. So we can see that in worship. If you're having that happening and you have a worship service where everything's coming, you're going and you've walked in and you're... Worship is good at home, good alone. It's better in community. And when you're worshiping and you're going through that and you've experienced that joy and you've been able to express it and that humility and you've been able to express it, that's getting you so close to the heart of worship. That expression is a big deal. C.S. Lewis, to paraphrase something he said, you have to express that joy to finish the joy. If you don't express it, the joy has not been finished. If you don't say something about it, if you don't do something about it, that joy has not had its full complete impact on you to change you make you different. The same thing with your being humbled. If you can't express it, if you can't find some way to do it, and that's probably quieter, it's left unfinished in the work that it's intended to do in you. Now the hard part comes next. At the end of verse 7, look at this thunderous word. Today If you hear his voice today, 
Now, if you hear his voice. Are you hearing his voice today? Not mine, but you're hearing God's voice. From here on down is something that's unique in this group of Psalms. These are God's quotes. The psalmist has God speaking in his own voice to us in the next section. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. I think it got your attention when Art read it and when you were reading down through the Psalms. Do not harden your heart. Hardening your heart is one of the most dangerous things that can enter into any Christian's life. Do not harden your heart. And then the psalmist moves on to talk about places that you've probably never heard of and it doesn't make any sense to you. No, as your forefathers did at Mirabah and at Massah. What? I don't get that, David. I'm going to have to go back to my... Don't worry. There's a number of translations that don't even have those place names in the translation. Because it was meant to mean something to these people. Mean something powerful to these people. These words talk about testing, strife. They talk about proving something. Or... Maybe in one big word, rebellion. 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 When those two words of those places came up, it made a big impact. I guess you don't get that maybe. So let me give something that's maybe closer at hand. So let's try this. I'm going to mention some place names and see if it brings any kind of emotions or thoughts in your head. Um, Okay. We'll start with... uh, the Old North Church, Lexington, Concord, Bunker Hill. Makes you think of the American Revolution right here, doesn't it? I mean, it's something we celebrate in Massachusetts. It's something we try to focus on. We have a freedom trail that goes over some of these places. So we're reminded about what happened with that revolution. And we're reminded, and that's, that's something that makes us who we are. And we really celebrate that stuff. And so it's place names that mean something to us. Let's, let's try another place name. Gettysburg. So the people of the North remember, oh yes! That's when the Union troops won. That was the farthest north those guys came. Those rebels, those Confederates came. Yes! If I say Gettysburg to somebody who grew up in Texas... It probably doesn't have a joyous, positive, yay, the Union won ring to it. So place names can mean a lot to different people. And that's why I say to you, these place names meant an awful lot to these Jewish people. They may not have scripture in front of them, but they know what this means. And in case they didn't, God goes on to explain it. In the wilderness... 
40 years. In case you don't remember these two names of places, you were testing me. You were rebelling against me. Your forefathers were doing that in the wilderness for 40 years. And look at his reaction to it. These people, this generation, they were going astray in their, not steps, in their heart. And he uses a powerful word. The translator takes this, and I think it does get to you and me. God said, I loathed that generation. Do you want to hear that? I loathe what you are doing right now. I loathe what's happened with this group of people. That's horrible. Even worse is the last verse. In his anger, in his wrath, he said that these people will never enter into my rest. Never enter into my rest. I think that's something you and I really don't want to hear. Never enter into my rest. But maybe that doesn't also make much sense to you. And I'm sure that's true because some commentators got confused, I think. I mean, I might be wrong, probably, but there's commentators say, well, what it meant was they didn't get into the promised land. That's true. But it didn't say, did not enter into my promised land. It said, my rest. And where do I get such a strong thing to say that I think I know what you do was right and you guys probably missed it? When the Bible interprets itself, you'd better pay attention. So my commentator is Paul, or whoever is the writer of the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7, through chapter 4, verses 13, there is an interpretation of everything starting with today all the way down, not enter my rest. Imagine that. In the New Testament, for us to read a second time and revisit this psalm, if we had not read it before, is being brought before you because you're reading the New Testament, and you get to Hebrews and it says, today, if you hear his voice, and then in the bottom, not enter my rest, it's explained. We don't have a time to really go through all that stuff from Hebrews, but let me just point to what it does say at the end. It talks about in Hebrews that the rest is not going into the promised land. That person, Paul or whoever it was, authorized and inspired by God, describes it that Joseph brought them into the promised land, there's no rest. That's not the rest we're talking about. The author there then goes on to talk about, it has something to do with that, remember the seventh day, remember Sabbath, remember those things. But it's not that Sabbath of uh, all stores are closed, you can't do anything open, everything's closed, just stay at home and it's quiet all Sunday. Stay with your family, have a big meal. no. It's not just the stuff you're doing and people see what you're doing. It's your heart. 
Have you found rest that you know that you're in the right place? Have you found rest? I will testify to you that I have found rest in terms of knowing that I'm not worshiping baseball. Coronavirus proved that to me. I still enjoy baseball, but that didn't break me. It didn't make me say I can't get up in the morning. It didn't make me mad at my wife or something like that. It was just, I knew that was a pastime. It's something I do, but it's not first in my heart. What has to be first in my heart? That's what our focus needs to be. How do we get there? How do we get to that point where we are going to really have God first in our heart so that when we worship, we're worshiping joyfully and expressing it? When we worship, we're worshiping humbly and we express it. And our focus is on God and not on ourselves. How do we get there? I go back to my commentator, Paul, in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, there's some powerful words, very powerful words. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. Pay attention to this last phrase. Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's what the Word of God does. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. That's how we get there. Let me give you another location that will help you understand what I'm talking about. When you think of this location, I think you will get what I'm saying. Calvary. Calvary. Jesus bled and died for me. Calvary, the Son of God, took my sin, my sorrow. His faithfulness, his righteousness, his justice changed me, transforms me. Calvary. When that word hits and sits there and you think of that location, it brings you to a point of saying, yes, joy, humility, excitement, there's pain. The wonder, the power, the glory, they're all at Calvary. That's where I need to be focusing. That's how we get there. Let me bring you to our three action steps. I would challenge you to do at least one, if not all three of these action steps. This is what I want you to look at this week to help you And make sure that you're moving towards that place where you do have real rest in God.
Rest in God comes from not having doubts and unbelief. Rest in God comes from being able to truly believe what they're saying. Those people in the wilderness were grumbling, 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 grumbling. And like a virus, it spreads. It does nothing but good. How can we make sure that one another, that we're helping each other to avoid the danger of unbelief that leads to a hardened heart? First, I encourage you to take a moment and do something really dangerous. Ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what am I worshiping besides God? What is it? You may not like what it says. You may not like what the Holy Spirit says, but the Holy Spirit will be honest and truthful to you and show you how you make God first in your heart. Second, community. When this service is over and there's people here you want to talk to and you need to express something about what happened, what God is doing in your life, and you want to be able to pray for them and encourage them, do that. And you at home, when this service is over, pick up that phone, call somebody, or at least text them and start connecting with them. They're part of your community. Connect with your community so that you can help encourage and support each other in this. And finally, Yes, I'm a Bible nerd. So, as a Bible teacher, I urge you, sometime, today, tomorrow, sit down and read Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. And get what Paul says about this hard section of Psalm 95. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, We praise you for this remarkable psalm that sounded really nice at the beginning and has this hard ending. And now we understand this warning that you're giving us is so that the first part at the top comes true. Lord, it's my prayer that each one here, both in person and online, will in fact help each other to avoid hardening our hearts. We need soft hearts. Lord, help us have soft hearts. And we need that in the community. Lord, bless us as we spend time in your word. Bless us as we spend time with each other. And continue to transform us so that day by day, moment by moment, We are more like Jesus. Amen.